Your mercies are new. Your mercies are great every day. Great is your faithfulness. And Lord, we, we trust your faithfulness to Prairie Hills Church, who this morning has their, their very first public uh, service up in the high school auditorium at Nyberg County High School. Lord, I pray for them. Uh, Lord, I pray that their outreach to the, to the community would be great to those who, who don't know you, those who have never surrendered their life to you as Savior, those who have never experienced uh, liberty, those who have never experienced freedom from sin. Oh God, we pray this morning that your faithfulness would show true there. Lord, we pray. I, I lift up I lift up those Lord my niece. I just I just I just pray for her healing. I pray for her family, for those little ones and for her husband. And Lord, I, I just want to lift up Adam here. And uh, thank you for the message that you put on his heart and I pray, Lord, that, that you would use your word and your and, and your truth to speak to our hearts and to to, to change us from the inside out. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. You and I might spend about 70 to 80 years on this earth. Not long when you consider the timeline of eternity. Have you ever wondered what life is all about? Every day we get bombarded with the message to pursue the things of this world. Make money, get stuff, be comfortable, live well. More, 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 and me, me, me. That's the prevailing message of our day. Our generation has a hijacked version of the American dream. But as Christians, we know deep down this distorted view of life isn't real life. We read what the Bible teaches and we see how Jesus lived. Every day we face a choice to pursue the me, me, me mindset of the American dream or to pursue Christ. What if this generation was willing to trade in the pursuit of the American dream for a world that desperately needs Christ? To be traitors. A trader is a new kind of missionary, not defined by geography. Where you live doesn't make you a missionary. The mission you're on makes you a missionary. Being a trader is a movement that requires us to live out our faith, not just talk about it. As a trader, we must choose daily to sacrifice and be intentional with our time, money, and skills. We can be like the Good Samaritan in the parable. When we're on the road of life and see someone in need, we choose to help. We follow Jesus' instructions to go and do likewise. A trader must hate injustice and find specific ways to bring the hope found in Jesus to desperate situations. It's easy to identify what you hate. What makes your heart break and your fists clench? A trader sees work as worship. Everything you do in life, including your job, can be an opportunity to worship the God who created you. Because God is glorified when we use our God-given passions and skills with excellence. And finally, a trader must act swiftly, because the time is right now. The result of all this would be a generation of traders who are making choices with their time, money, and passions that are kingdom-focused and not self-focused, so that our short time here can have an eternal impact. Good morning, everybody. Anything now? Can you hear me now? Oh, hey, I'm real. Okay, cool. Um, you guys know me. I've got a little bit of a yeah problem. When an opportunity comes along and someone says, hey, Adam, why don't you do this thing? I'm like, yeah, sure, okay, I'll do that. Hey, Adam, can you help me out this other thing? Oh, yeah, totally, I'll do that. And then those yeses just kind of like start stacking up and then my day is like full of just things that I said, yeah, sure, I'll do that. 
and I most of the time have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm like, yeah, sure, okay. And you guys know that like that's where I'm at right now. But to be honest, I'm I'm pretty reformed. Uh, I, I've actually grown a lot in this area. It used to be a lot worse. And I want to start off today by kind of confessing this and admitting this and letting you know that I'm right here with you because truly, when I was in college, um, going into my sophomore year, I went to Grace University, which is a small private Bible college, and so it's like a really small world. And um, someone the year before, a couple of people had come to me and said, hey, Adam, uh, the student leadership, they, they kind of need some help, and we think that you have what it takes to help them. You should run for student body president. And I was like, uh, okay. And so then I was like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And then I ran for it, and I actually won. <laughs> Might have something to do with the fact that no one ran against me, so... <laughs> Woo! <laughs> um, but I said, yeah, sure, I'll do that thing. And so that was a big commitment. I mean, I was running one of the two organizations on camp, and so that took a lot of my time. Chris can attest to this. She was also in student leadership at Grace. And uh, so it took a lot of my time. And then there was this other thing, like near the end of my first year, where someone says, hey, there's this group called the Ambassadors. They go out and they promote the school by singing worship songs and doing like a little gag funny thing in the middle, and they talk about Grace University and how you should go there if you want to. And uh, so that's like every weekend, you're going to go out and do that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. So I auditioned, and I got it. And I was like, okay, here I am. I'm going to do this thing now. And so then, uh, let's see, there was a, a, a friend of mine that was uh, a youth pastor in Iowa, and he was stepping up into the, the associate pastor role, the lead, kind of lead pastor role. And... Um, he said, hey, Adam, I'm, I'm vacating this position. I think you should come and be the youth pastor here. I think you should be, lead the youth group here. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, definitely. Count me in. I can do that. And so I did. Uh, and then at the same time, there was this, the, this other church that I, we were attending on Sundays where they said, um, hey, we really, really need a worship leader, um, someone to lead worship every week. Could you, could you do that? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. So the important thing for me to point out is that this was all at the same time. <laughs> like, this is just stupidity lived out in my life. Because what happened was, I basically got to the point where... One thing I forgot to mention last year, last year, there was another youth group in Aurora, Nebraska, out of the middle of nowhere, about halfway through the year. They were like, hey, we need another youth pastor, or we need a youth pastor. Can you come out and lead our youth group? And I was like... Sure, yeah. So this is the way it worked. Friday, we would go out to do our ambassador thing. We'd go to some place in Nebraska and stay the night there on Saturday and talk about all that stuff. And then we'd be back for church on Sunday morning and lead worship on Sunday morning. And then we'd leave church immediately and go to do youth group in uh, Aurora. And then on that Wednesday, we would, it, this is crazy, we'd have worship practice for like an hour and a half. And then immediately we'd leave there and go to the youth group in Iowa. And in between those times, I was supposed to be a student body president and something of a good boyfriend to my now beautiful wife. Um, and so I was, uh, in a word, overcommitted. I, uh, I, I was invested in a lot of things. And so basically I woke up every day just going through the really terrible rubric of, well, who am I going to disappoint today? Like, what ball am I going to let drop? What plate is going to fall today? Because there's no way that I can accomplish all these things. Because I was overcommitted. I said yes too many times. And I suspect that probably here within this community, we have other, um, 
I don't want to say yes men, but people that are very amiable to taking opportunities. Uh, maybe you feel overcommitted today. Maybe you found yourself saying yes to a lot of different things, and so now your life is basically dictated by other people's schedules. You basically, you can know, by the way, if you're overcommitted, if you find yourself anxious all the time, you can't sleep, but you're always exhausted, and you're always running late to something. Hello, Chief Among Sinners standing right here. But that's kind of a reality that some of us live with, where our time is basically just dictated to us. By the time we get home from work, we've got to make dinner, we've got to eat dinner, we've got to go do that thing, the after-school project, maybe go see a sports game, maybe, I don't know what it is for you, but you, we, we're really busy people. And I thought for a while that, you know, coming here to Wyoming, that it would be different, that, like, the wholesomeness and the ruralness of your community would, like, change that reality. You guys are really busy, too. Like, we're all just really, really busy, really, really over, I think, overcommitted people. But maybe some of us are on the other end of the spectrum this morning. Maybe some of us uh, have things to do, but not maybe a lot of things. And that not a lot of things has kind of led you to feel kind of like, well, what's the purpose in my day? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a few things today, and they're not going to last forever, and then they're going to die away. And then tomorrow I'm going to do the exact same thing. I'm going to stack that up for 80 years and then kick. That's a real thing. I don't want to throw uh, a particular thing under the bus, but it, it makes such a really good illustration for me. There's this game that several friends of mine are playing right now that I really like, and I really like playing, so I'm going to say that. But the other thing is, is that in the process of this, it's called Ingress. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Ingress. It's a game you play with your phone. And you basically, uh, the world is the, the game field, and there's portals everywhere. Like, everywhere. There's a portal in the New Life Center, guys. Just so you know. Uh, and th- the way the game works is there's two teams. And there's the blue team and the green team. They have their names, but it doesn't really matter. The blue team and the green team. And so what you do is, if you're on the blue team, you go around and you take the, uh, if you're on the blue team, you take the green team and you turn their portals blue. And if you're on the green team, you take the blue portals and turn them green. Does that make sense? It's basically a big color war all across the world. And so really, really early on while I was playing this game, I realized something, and that was that it was pointless. (laughs) Maybe that's... Appreciate that. Uh, Truly. And it doesn't disqualify it as a game, because, you know, recreation, there doesn't always have to be a point to that, but... Like, while I'm playing it, we were down in Fort Collins last weekend, I think it was last weekend, with a whole group of us, and we went down there, and we took, because it's all green down there, and we're on the blue team, so we went down there, and we took all their green portals and turned them blue. And then by the time we're in the middle of having dinner, I get notifications on my phone saying, hey, remember that blue portal you just created? It's turned green now. It doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter if we turn it blue, it's just going to turn green again someday, and then it's going to go blue, and then it's going to go green, and it just feels kind of pointless. And I think sometimes, as strange as it may seem, we feel that way about our life. We feel like we busy ourselves. We have activities that keep our hands busy and our minds busy. But really, there's no purpose in it. There's no ultimate end. There's no ultimate goal. Uh, when we read Ecclesiastes, when it says meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, we're like, amen. Maybe that's where you're at today. Despite my overcommitment, I end up there too. And I want to tell you that today's talk, um, 
after giving it to the first service, I, I want to make something abundantly clear. I'm sharing this message to give you hope. I'm giving this message to share with other people who are struggling in the middle of this thing hope for the overcommitted and the aimless. For people that maybe don't know Jesus, this message for me gives me a lot of hope, and I'm hoping that it will give you hope as well. Because, see, not all of us uh, are well-versed in Christian things. And so what I want to do really quick is I want to just summarize the whole Bible. I've done this a couple times, but I'm going to summarize the whole Bible. I'm going to leave out big parts. Uh, So originally God made everything, and he made it good. And then he made one particular thing that was good that had something that he called free will which resembled something that he has, which is choice. Like, he creates things out of nothing. I think that's a pretty profound choice. But then he gives that to these things that he makes. And they're made in his image, and he says it's very, very good. And everything is awesome. Like, he makes the universe and everything that's in it, and it's beautiful, and everything that's great. And then very, very, very quickly, this thing that was supposed to be the, the, the pinnacle of his creation, the thing that was very good in the midst of good, that he gave free will, so it would love him freely, says, "Mm, nope, I'm not going to follow what you have. And so there's good, and then there's the opposite of good, is what we choose. What we chose, it's our own way. Another word that I think you can use for that is evil, or sin, or whatever words you want to use for that. But it's basically everything that is against what God has created the world to be. And that's where things went awry. And that's where darkness started invading our planet. Because wherever humans are, there's sin. Wherever humans are, there's the opposite of God's goodness. And it started pervading the world. Now, one of my favorite authors, I I try not to quote him too often because he's really well quoted, but um, he just says it so beautifully that I I can't get away from it. His name is uh, C.S. Lewis. He wrote Mere Christianity. I think you've probably heard of him. Um... Talking about where we live, he says this. We are in enemy-occupied territory. That is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say landed in disguise, and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. When you go to church, you are really listening to the secret wireless from our friends. That is why the enemy is so anxious to prevent us from going. Our world is embattled. It is not neutral. We are on mission. If we say that we follow Jesus, that is subscribing to a mission. If at some point we said, Jesus, I want to be a part of what you're doing in the world, we are on mission. I want to read a couple stories of uh, people who Jesus called to be a part of his mission. Let's see. I want to go to um, Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. If you want to join me, you can. Uh, if not, I'll read it out loud, and I'll do it legibly, hopefully, so everything will be okay. So, <clears throat> this is in Matthew chapter, 18, or chapter 4, verse 18. It says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Jesus, Jesus saw, two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left the boat, and their father, fo- and their father fo- and followed him. 
Jesus called them into the mission, and I think that he calls each of us to it also. I just did a quick Google, Google search about passages talking about being sent. And it's like forever long, and I'm just going to read a couple of these in rapid succession so you can get a picture for how important this is to God. Mark chapter 16, verse 15 says, And he said to them, Go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Acts 13, 47 says, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Romans 10, 13 through 15 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Psalm 96 says, Declare his glories among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Matthew chapter 28, 19. This is probably the most famous one. It's called the Great Commission. You've probably been thinking of this one as I've been reading these other ones. It says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We are on mission because Jesus is on mission. Because in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of this fallen world, Jesus life itself decides to step in. So he was outside of time and space. He kind of made up the idea. And then he takes on time and space on himself. And he steps into our world. Now the fancy word for that is incarnation, which just literally means in the flesh. And Jesus became incarnate. He took on our struggles. He took on the darkness that we hold. And he did not fall to it. At one point he says, these are the way, the truth, and the life. Now, he was on a mission, and eventually we saw where his mission took him. But that was not the end of his mission. Eventually, he teaches, he heals, but eventually he goes to the cross. And a lot of the worldly story ends there, but it doesn't absolutely end there. Because he passes the baton onto the church. He says, you will bear witness to what I've done. That's us. We are on mission because Jesus is on mission. Because Jesus loves the world. Because Jesus is life and light itself walking into a dark world. And we are invited to be a part of that. So I want to encourage you that today we are not talking about bootstraps, about be better, about do better. We're just talking about following Jesus where he's naturally going. So, um, the next thing I want to point out is that mission means that we do go. Now, I know that word has a lot of meaning for a lot of people, and as soon as I say the word go, maybe you'll think of the presentation that we saw just a few minutes ago, and maybe we're going to see downstairs while we're eating some good food, that, um, you know, going means that we need to, like, buy a ticket and and fly to Timbuktu and, and everybody, like, start a mission. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes that's exactly what that means. I'm good friends with people that they, they've taken up that cause and they've spent their life going to the ends of the earth. But I think oftentimes our mistake is that when Jesus says that we're going to bear witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, we like skip these parts. And we just go straight to the ends of the earth. And we're like, well, if we don't go to the ends of the earth, we're not going. But Jerusalem was their hometown. Judea was the region. Samaria was outside of that. Like, it was this, this circle that went out. 
But it started at home. But Jesus still says, go. I think that's important for us. Kind of like the sons of Zebedee, the fishermen, that as he's walking along, Jesus looks at them and says, follow me. He's inviting us to go somewhere. Because the truth is that we are not on a mission that is stagnant. We are not on a mission that is just to to maintain things. We are on a mission to follow something that is on the move. And we need to be a part of that. We need to take whatever steps it looks like to go and do that thing. Uh, I want to read Mark chapter 2, verse 13 and 14 for you. This is another really interesting thing. This is when Levi was called. And it says in verse 13, he says, Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And then Levi carefully looked at his ledger and said, Excuse me, let me balance my debits and credits. First, I'll follow you, but let me uh, lock up this cash box that I have here because it's got a lot of money in it and people are going to take it. And uh, actually, I just remembered, I need to run home uh, and get a change of clothes because I've heard about you and you travel a lot and I want to make sure that I'm not all stinky. And then um, I also have this new pair of sandals that I really, really love that I want to take with me. So if you just, I'll be right back just a sec. Obviously, if you're reading along, he doesn't say that. And that doesn't really sound like biblical character language. No, what he did was... I don't think... I think the only time stink is in the Bible is when it says he stinketh in reference to Lazarus, which, that's fun. Um, No, it says, Jesus says, follow me, and it says right next, and he rose and followed him. Levi was in the middle of every day. He was in the middle of a mundane life. Maybe he was feeling aimless. Maybe he was feeling purposeless. And then all of a sudden, purpose and meaning and life shows up and says two words to him and says, follow me. What do we do if we, are, if we hear the same thing? What do we do when Jesus walks up to us and says, follow me? What does it look like for you to get up and go? To get up and follow? Because I tell you what, it doesn't matter how long you've believed in Jesus. I think today, he says, follow me. When I first got saved, um, I have a special connection to that, I have decided. When I first got saved, when I first really started following Jesus as a disciple, I sang that song. And I felt like, this is the moment. Right here is when I'm deciding to follow Jesus, and I will not turn back. And then I expected the chapter to close and the epilogue to start, and I never read those anyway, and I thought, happily ever after, boom. But really what happens is that you have to sing that song. You have to make that decision. You have to to understand that Jesus makes that offer every day to follow me. So our mission is to follow Jesus. And he's asking you today to follow him. So will you go wherever that takes you, whether it's in your backyard or to the ends of the earth? Now, one of the important things about being on mission, uh, one of my favorite things about watching like these like uh, special agent movies, I'm really into movies, and uh, there's the Mission Impossible series that stands out to me, the Bourne movies that stand out to me, and the James Bond movies that stand out to me. And one thing that's always struck me is that every time I watch one of those movies, I never see Ethan Hunt go to the grocery store. <laughs> 
You know, like no one ever stops to go to the bathroom. How many people have joked about 24 and Jack Bauer, how he just never uses the bathroom? We watch 24 hours of his life and he never uses the restroom, never once. Like they never do mundane things. And maybe that's what's exciting to us. But I think one way of saying it is that they have a tremendous economy to what they do. Everything in their, in their movie, everything in their story, is about completing the mission in front of them, whatever that mission might be. Even the things that seem recreational, you find out, oh, he's not in that casino to have fun, he's in that casino to find the bad guy. Like, everything they do is economic. And that's something that we, I think, as Americans, me, myself, personally, have a really, really hard time with. Because I say yes to everything. I agree to do all sorts of things. And so I am so busy that I think sometimes when the mission of God knocks on my door, when Jesus says, hey, follow me, I just say, oh, Jesus, I'm really busy right now. You picked a bad time. Can you come back Tuesday? I've got a one to two that I could fit you in. That'd be great. No, we are bloated. We are overcommitted. And I, I think one of the things that's inspirational to me is found in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, David actually read it earlier, and I want to read it again because it's so insightful to me. Um, In it, the author of Hebrews, in all of chapter 11, was basically just listing all these Old Testament characters that responded to God in faith. Through obedience, they they attained things. And so, in in 12, it's kind of like the the climax of this thing where he's saying, because of this, do this. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The interesting thing is that it does not say, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He has two categories of things that we need to lay aside. He says, all the sin and everything else that slows us down. And the idea here is of a runner and I don't know if you guys have ever watched like Olympic level uh, like sprints or marathons or that sort of stuff. It's kind of gross sometimes because like they wear clothes that are just like really, really tight and really just uh, not my thing. And uh, the reason they do that is to reduce drag. So like, the wind isn't pushing against them as they're running. Uh, swimmers do a very similar thing. Um, if you know a guy that's ever done swimming, they will shave their legs to reduce drag so it's not holding them back. And I think that's the image that the author of Hebrews is telling us here is that, that what we need to do to run this race in front of us is we need to be wise. We need to be economic. We need to cut out everything that is not necessary and run the race with endurance. So the way that I, I like to say this is that because I hate, 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 hate saying no. Um, unless somebody asks me to like babysit for them, I hate saying no. Uh, in that case, I love saying no. No, no, nope, mm-mm. Um, the way I like to say it is that mission means that we say no in order to say yes, or we say no to say yes. And, and the best way I can describe this to you is, uh, it's stupid, but it's close to my heart, so hopefully you'll get it. Um, I love food, and when I go to McDonald's, they have this thing called a double quarter pounder. Yeah, I got some some kin up in the booth there. Uh, <clears throat> so it's a double quarter pounder. You can put bacon on it. And you, if you ask them, they'll put more cheese on it. 
And so it's basically this handful of goodness. Like when I'm holding one of those, I know that my life is going to be good in the next 10 minutes. Like I'm just going to enjoy what's happening because it's like, boom, this can't go wrong. And another thing that I love is basically anything at Burger King that has the word Whopper or Double, preferably both in the name, and let's throw some bacon on there, and then I've got two handfuls of goodness. So let's just imagine for a second that I'm sitting at home, and I've got these two sandwiches, and I'm ready to dig in, because for some reason I don't care about my own health and that I'm going to die of a heart attack at the age of 30. So I'm holding these two sandwiches, and I'm about ready to just start in, and Jenny comes home, and she says, Oh, I stopped by Chick-fil-A on my way through Cheyenne. My favorite fast food ever. And uh, she says, I got you one of the original Chick-fil-A sandwiches with bacon and cheese. All of a sudden, I'm in this existential moral quandary. (laughs) Because I've got this in one hand, I've got this in the other hand, and I've got no more hands. (laughs) What do I have to do in order to enjoy the best thing? I've got to put one of the burgers down. Like, there's no way that I can eat this wonderful other thing without putting one of these down. Like, I can't just, like, pick up the Chick-fil-A sandwich with the burgers as if they were a new sandwichy hand with which to eat the Chick-fil-A. That's an abomination. Don't do that. No, I have to lay it down. And it's a silly analogy, and I know it's silly, but the thing is, I feel like most of our lives, we're holding things. And then something comes along, and we're like, when Jesus comes and knocks on our door and says, follow me, Jesus, I'm busy, I'm sorry. I've got all these good things stacked up. Because, see, that's kind of the, the twisted part of it. They're both good. Like, I would love to eat both of these things, but not as much as I'd love this thing. And our lives can fill up with good things, but not have the best things. And so I want to encourage you today uh, to follow in this idea of economy, uh, of, of doing things selectively as wise people would. Now, before I move on, I want to read... Uh, something that's helpful to me because it's Jesus and he validates what I'm saying. Uh, You know, I'm not just making this up. Uh, In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is in this place called Capernaum or Capernaum and uh, he's doing tremendous things there. Let's see, I think it starts in... Yeah, verse 38. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 38. Jesus is in this community and he's doing tremendous things. And here's just, I'm just starting right in the middle of one of these tremendous things. And it says, And he arose and left the synagogue and he entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and he rebuked the fever and it left her and immediately she rose and began to serve him, serve them. So she had this fever. He says, stop it, fever. She's better. It's a miracle. You can't do that normally. Um, Verse 40 says, Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many of them, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Now earlier in this passage, it says that reports of him were going out to every part of the region. 
he was doing this tremendous thing where uh, he was healing people of whatever disease they had and they were bringing in their friends. I mean, I know that if there was someone that was like healing cancer in Lusk, then I would call everyone I know that knows anyone that has cancer, everyone I know that has cancer, and say, hey, we need to go to Lusk right now. And we'd all go there. And I think that's what's happening because his name is reverberating through the region. And so everybody's coming into this town called Capernaum. And so everyone who is demon-possessed, everyone who is sick, goes to Jesus, and they are no longer afflicted. That's what's going on. He's doing a tremendous work here, and then he leaves. Because in verse 42 it says, And when it was day, he left, he departed, and he went into a desolate place, a lonely place. And the people sought him, and they came to him, and would have kept him from leaving them. It makes sense. There's nothing unreasonable about that. They wanted, I mean, if the guy's healing people of like deadly diseases and casting out demons and giving people new life, of course you would want him to stay. And it's a good and important thing that he stays. But he says this. He says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And so in a way, he kind of goes out to the region itself. But what Jesus says, is he says in this little exchange, he says, yes, what I'm doing here is good, but it is not my purpose. It is not the thing that is driving me. It's a worthy thing. It's worth doing. But I'm going to leave because I have bigger purpose. I have more purpose. I have a mission I'm on. And again, we all remember where that mission goes. So the last thing I want to share with you is that our mission has a destination. It's going somewhere. Um, We're going to go back to the story of Levi because I think it's so cool. Uh, Mark chapter 2 so uh, just to recap he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them we remember this and as he passed by he saw Levi the son of Alphaeus sitting at the tax booth and he said to him follow me Levi said nothing about stinky feet and he rose and followed him Next verse. There's no words that connect this. There's no narrative that normally it's like, and then they walk to this place. It just says, and as Jesus reclined at the ta- at table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining, for there were many who followed him. So oftentimes the question is, you know, uh, okay, so it's really nice that we're on mission, and it's really nice to hear that we need to follow Jesus. That's great. But how do I live that out? I don't even know where Jesus is going. I think this, this little story elucidates it so well for us that Jesus calls Levi. Levi gets up, and the very next thing, they are at Levi's house. Okay, so Levi's a part of this. And Jesus is sitting with sinners and tax collectors. Like, these are bad people. Like, there would probably be a scandal if, like, we were found. Like, if David was found to be in a group of people like this, 
there'd probably be a couple of people talking about it afterwards saying, hey, did you see that David was with those St. Louis Rams fans? I don't know. I don't follow sports that well. Uh, no, it's, these are terrible people, the worst of the worst. And, it, and the scribes of the Pharisees, so these are the disciples of the Pharisees, when they saw that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they started talking to Jesus' disciples. And, and they said, why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? Because the idea is they're unclean. He's a rabbi. What's he doing? And Jesus, this is ironic, he interrupts. Like, we always think of Jesus being really nice, but he actually interrupts at this moment. He's like, uh, those who are well have no need of a physician, but instead those who are sick do. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is going somewhere, and I think that that somewhere tells us uh, a little bit more about Jesus and a little bit more about where we're at. Because see, if you're following something, you're going to eventually be in the same place. And Jesus is going to the worst of the world and sharing life with them. Because he himself is life. That's where Jesus is going. Because remember, we talked about the incarnation. I don't think that Jesus laid that down when he was like the baby in the manger. And he's like, I'm done with that idea. He keeps becoming incarnate with the people around him. He keeps stepping into the darkness. He keeps stepping into their mess. He keeps welcoming them into what he is, which is life. And he leads us there. If we're following Jesus, because that's where he's going, we will have lost people in our life. We will be going to dark places. We will be going to places that need to hear the life and light that Jesus has to offer. If we're not doing it, this is hard for me to say, because I'm guilty. If we're not finding ourselves there, maybe we're not following Jesus. Maybe at that point we just take up the Christian name, but we're not following him where he's going, because it's yucky. And it's messy, and we don't want to be thought poorly of. But Jesus brings life where people need it. It's, it, it tells me so much about who, where his heart is when he says, okay, so they're the, the scribes of the Pharisees, their category for these people are sinners and tax collectors. Those bad people. But Jesus, his first description of them is that they are sick. They're not well. In the same way that you don't expect someone that has like a 103 degree fever to like go out in the field and work. You can't expect these lost souls, these people who are just burdened under the darkness that's been in the world for almost ever, to just say, oh, I'm better. I'm going to be good now. They need life. And that's what Jesus is. And that's what Jesus asks us to share with them. And so really quick, I just want to go back to those two categories that we talked about earlier about being overcommitted, and being, feeling purposeless, I want to encourage you that um, it's okay to say no. It's okay to say no if to a good, good thing if you're saying yes to the best thing. I think some of us might have to do some business in our life about our commitments, about things that we have busied ourselves with. 
This is hard, guys. But Jesus calls us to follow him. And if we have things holding us back, if we have things weighing us down, if our schedule is so bloated that we can't follow Jesus, we have to say no so we can say yes to Jesus. I don't know what that's going to look like for you. Everybody's circumstance is different. But if I were you, I would consider, along with me, doing an inventory of your life, laying out everything that you're committed to, all the relationships that you've got in front of you, and putting them all on the hot seat and saying, does this aid towards the mission of God? Does this bring benefit to the world? And, and for me, one of the best th- ways of thinking this way is, what are the things that only I can do? What are the things that I am uniquely gifted to do this thing, and I'm uniquely placed, and I'm the only one here that can do this? Now, uh, as a Messiah complex sufferer, I have to tell you that we often think that we are the only ones that can do everything, which we are always not the person who can do everything. But what are the things that only you can uniquely do? What are the, the things that only you must do? You're only a father to a certain number of people. You're only a brother to a certain number of people. You're only a mother to a certain number of people. Like, no one else gets to be that for those people. Think about that. And then, if something feels less of a priority, prayerfully consider saying, I have committed to this, but I want to say no to this so I can say yes to Jesus. I want to be more strategic with my life. Consider that, please. And if you're feeling aimless, if you're feeling there's no purpose in the world, we have been invited to one of the greatest missions in the world. And the good news is we do not lead it. (laughs) Because if I led this mission, it would fail. It would fail miserably. But Jesus leads this mission. He is our team captain. He stepped into the world, and all we do is follow him. And if you are living your life following Jesus, following him as he goes to the poor and the destitute, the, the lost and the lonely, I think that there could be no greater purpose. And I think that once you reach the end, you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Because at that point, you have the opportunity to invest in something that is actually eternal. If you share with someone the gospel of Jesus Christ, and and through either your words or your actions and your words, because actions always need an explanation, I think. If you share that with them and they get life... You have changed them forever. You have been a part of what God is doing in their life. You have given them life. You've given them something. You've shared something with them that will last forever. There's no investment strategy that promises forever except for this one. And I wonder um, what it would look like for us to all do this. You know, there's a lot of passion and like excitement that goes along with planning a church, and it's been so much fun uh, praying with Ty and being a part of that process for the last year and just kind of walking with him and seeing what's going on now. Like, it's exciting. Like, my heart is racing a little bit faster just thinking about what they're doing up there. And when Sunrise got planned, I, I remember there was just so much excitement. It was just like, yeah, this is cool. Like, God is moving. Woo! Like, a church plant has so much excitement. But what if we just for a second decided to plan a church? today. I know this is a weird exercise, but think about it. What if we decided to plant a church in this building? 
what if we decided to plant a church with these people? Because the message that a church plant is that Jesus loves the world and he's trying to reach them. And at one point, that was the only message that North Hills had. It was a church plant at one point. What if we replanted the church every day? What if we decided that today was the day that we were going to get excited about what Jesus is doing in the world and share it with the people around us? What if we got brave and texted the people that maybe we've been like praying for, but only in secret, and, and let them know, hey, I'm praying for you. Will you come to church with me this next Sunday? Because you are sharing the best news that they will ever hear. Because God has given the world his life, and that's grace. So I'm going to pray real quick. Uh, God, I just pray that um, as we consider your words and your example and Jesus, um, the reality of the world that we live in, God, I pray that you'd help us to see that today could be the day that someone believes in you because of us or in partnership with us. God, I pray that you would put people on our hearts right now Lord, the lost in our backyard. Lord, the people that we know at work, the people we know at school, they might bug us, they might irritate us, but God, I just pray that you would put them on our hearts. And Lord, that we would be brave enough to invite them to something. Whether it's church or Project One in a couple weeks, Lord, I just pray that... Um, You'd help us to be a part of what you're doing in the world. Jesus, I personally want to follow you in this way. I wander sometimes. And God, I just pray that you would help me to follow you as you go to a lost and broken world. Jesus, we love you so much. And we're grateful for the work you've already done. And we're so incredibly grateful for the amazing grace that you've heaped upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.